0: just wonder whether you're a finisher or a starter this morning. Would you class yourself as a finisher or a starter? And what do I mean by that? Well, you see, I have to work really hard to finish stuff. Really, really hard. I'm not really an attention to detail person. Um, it isn't what gives me a buzz. Um, but you see, I have a brother that drives me to distraction because that is what he's all about. He's driven by perfectionism. Everything he makes has to be perfectly cornered and he can come into a room and that's probably why I don't let him in my house very often because he can come into a room and he can see where you've not edged properly with your painting and where you've not sort of just finished everything off and it's not perfectly square. And he will scrap whole projects and start again if it's not perfect and it drives me mad. He has routers weekly delivered to his home. I didn't even know what a router was until I started reading his little magazine. It's a little woodworking thing, isn't it, that does stuff. See, I don't even know what it is, but that's how sad he is. He has it delivered weekly. He must be the only one in the country that has this publication, or he's on a very, very small mailing list, you know? But, but you see, me and Russ, this is where the analogy comes in. Me and Russ are like that to a degree, to a degree. And um, you see, I can live with the fact that my kitchen has everything fitted except one door. On a cupboard that if we put on, we couldn't open the drawers. I can live with that. It's been like that since the 31st of August last year. It's been like that. You know, I can live with the fact that Russ's little room, um, little room, that makes sense like I put him in there, doesn't it? <laughs> Russ's kennel. It's where he has his, you know, his computer and he works and he, and he draws things and he makes music and it, it's, it's his domain. It's where he goes to, to Chile. You know, I can live with the fact that there's no door on that room. And we have a door to put on it and we've had that door since 1992. Before some of you were even born, we've had that door. And before you think, Jane, you terrible, terrible wife, you are just so berating your husband this morning publicly. What an awesome abuse of a microphone. Let me say, do you know what? I haven't bothered to finish it either. See, it's not about whether we are good at DIY. It's not about whether, you know, um, we can make things fit together and look great. Do you know the truth is, actually those things aren't important enough for me to finish. <laughs> That's the truth. They don't cross my mind for me to finish them. It doesn't drive me to distraction. Maybe you're a person that goes into a room and you have to put something just right so that it's just great. And you'll know if something's been moved. I couldn't tell if anything's gone out of my living room, let alone been brought in. I couldn't. Because it's not important to me. Because my kitchen functions really well without the door. It does what it's supposed to do. But I do know that there's that feeling that you get when you finish something. When you finish something that's really, really taken, you've poured yourself into it, and you've given into it, and that feeling that you get, you just think, man, that's finished. Because completion is really, really important, isn't it? Completion is really, really important. And here we have Nehemiah. And um, after all the opposition and trouble and strife and threats and ridicule, he's there. Well, who's laughing now because the job is finished? And if you've got your Bibles, if you can go to Nehemiah chapter 6. And we're just going to pull some stuff out of this morning. And we're going to look at why it's important to finish. Why it's important to finish well. Why it was important for Nehemiah. But then why it's important for us as a body of people to finish. I'm going to read from Nehemiah 6, verse 15. And it says, So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Now, what sticks out to you in that verse? What word? What phrase? Is it completed? Is that what jumps out at you from the phrase there? It was completed. Actually, the phrase that jumps out to me is 52 days. 52 days. Man. Can you imagine the relief it must have been to finish that war? That's all they've been doing for 52 days. All the hard work, all the sacrifice, everything that was poured into those 52 days. And it was obviously longer for Nehemiah. It was obviously longer for him. It's only been about nine months since he first heard about the state of the war and the state of his city. And four of those months he spent in prayer. So that leaves us with five months where all this work and all this activity had to be done. And it had been the only thing on his mind. He was consumed by it. It had been the main thrust of his prayers. It's caused him to change location. He's moved. It's caused him to change his lifestyle. His whole life has changed because of that war. But so had the people's. And some of you may know or not know that it's probably been around four, maybe more than that, years since you've been talking about the possibility of building something for the kingdom of God on this plot of land that God has given us. And the process of bringing that project that we've called the third place to where we are now has caused some people to become like Nehemiah. And I think this is important for you to hear this. It's consumed thoughts. It's been the main thrust of our prayer life. It's caused us to change. Maybe not location physically, but it's caused us to change our focus and our role. The third place has already changed lives. Do you know that? And the brick hasn't been built yet. And I wish I could tell you that in 52 days' time, we will be here and it would all be built. And we're here celebrating what God has done in 52 days' time. I wish I could give you a completion date. Because there's something that happens mentally, isn't that? When we know when the end is. That gives us that impetus to run. And I think we forget sometimes that when we read the Bible, it's all there for us. Those people didn't know it was 52 days. They just worked till the job was done. They just worked until the job was done. And I can't give you an end date. But what I can tell you is we need to be people who finish well. We need to be people who finish well. Well, why? Well, let's see why it's important for Nehemiah. So in verse 16, it says, When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Had been done with the help of our God. And something really jumped out of me in this. Because do you know what? In completion, the people who were laughing at Nehemiah chapters before... The people who were being obstructive, the people that were ridiculing his little construction crew, the people who were providing the hindrances and the criticism, these are the people that are now acknowledging that this is God. You see, we can't embark on a project like the third place and leave it half built and half done. We can't. We can't leave it with some doors missing can't leave it with the room not painted. We can't leave it with the space not big enough to holistically, you know, provide for our community the needs that God is put in our heart for us to meet. Why? Because those people who have provided stumbling blocks already or who will, those people who have written letters to our local newspaper or who will, those people who have laughed and said there isn't a God and those who will, will become the very people who see the third place built, opened and meeting the needs of our community. And that should be a whoop. Why will they? Because they will see the accomplishment. They will see how a body of people have worked together. They will see how we have stood against opposition. They will see how we have faced ridicule and pointing fingers and said, well, shouldn't the money be spent somewhere else? They will see the thing built to completion. Then it won't matter about a letter complaining about our food bank. Why? Because they will see, or may even be the recipients of themselves, food from that very food bank. It won't matter whether statutory agencies have helped us secure funding and whether they've placed hindrances, whether they've not been as supportive as they could have been. Why? Because they will see needs in our community being met as a whole. It won't matter. They will be the people that will lose maybe some self-confidence in what they've thought and believed because they will realise that this work, this work has been done with the help of our God. You see, with them or without them, the wall was built. With them or without them, the wall was built. And the people around Nehemiah realized the work was done with the help of our God. And the people around us, well, well, I'll let you make that link yourself. Because you need to. You need to make that link. You see, I can tell you where God has blessed. I can tell you about how God has brought us on the journey. I can tell you that God is partnering and God is working alongside us, but unless you make that link and you own the fact that God is working with us and God is standing with us and God is resourcing us, you will never own the inheritance that God wants to pour into this place. You have to make that link yourself. You have to realize that this work is being done with the help of our God. Nehemiah 7 verse 4. Now, the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. You see, Nehemiah could have sat back and thought, that's a great war. What a great war. It surrounds the city, the doors and the gates are in. What a brilliant wall and sat down. Do you know what? No, it says, my God put into my heart to then do something else. The completion meant that families could move back into that city. It meant rebuilding homes. It meant rebuilding lives. You see, could it be that God had a bigger idea in the first place than what he let onto Nehemiah? Could it be that the mission... That Nehemiah thought he had to build the wall was actually just an assignment, and the real mission was all about the people returning, people having their homes and having their lives rebuilt. There's something in us, in this for us to grasp. Because if we see the third place building as the mission, we have missed it. We have missed it. Because then that building will just become a monument. Instead of being a monumental part of the journey that God has called us on as a group of people together. You see, the third place is an assignment in the mission God has for us. And don't get me wrong, it will be an epic achievement, epic, to get it built. I'm not belittling that at all. It will be an epic achievement. But it's only a means to an end to the bigger plan of God. You know, it might seem at the moment that all the attention is on the building. That all the focus is on the building. All the talk is about the building. But if we see Nehemiah's example here. He then governed what he'd built for 12 years. The story didn't stop with the war, it began. The completion did mean that he was able to finish the work God had put on his heart to do, it was an assignment in the bigger plans and purposes of God. You see, and we don't need a building to start doing great work for God because great work is already going on here. It's not like we're waiting for this day because, oh, we can start then. Can't wait for the building because then, you know, the needs of our community will be met. No great things are happening right now. Right now. And I just want to tell you about something which, which sort of blew me away the more I thought about it. It only happened on Friday night. And um, as many of you know, we run a community youth outreach um, on a Friday night. And we're regularly getting over 150 people, which is amazing. Absolutely awesome. And um, we have a great team of volunteers there you know, that selflessly give up their time for that. It's not an easy job. It's not an easy job. But this is just one of the things that just thought, you know what? This needs to keep running. Um, we had a guy come on um, Friday night who just joined, had never been before, so he filled in his little membership thing, we had his details, went off into the building to enjoy the facility like everybody else does. And about, I don't know, about half an hour, 30 minutes into the evening, um, one of the volunteers came and got me and said, Jan, I think you need to come outside. There's a lady outside. You know, she's really, really breaking her heart and crying and, and there's something going on here with somebody in the building and you need to come out and, and have a word. So I came out and spoke to this woman and she was clutching this photograph of, of her son. And she said, um, this is my son and he's been missing. He's been missing for days and I think he's in there. And, um, and so I had some details from her, and we talked a little bit more and she was clutching onto this like folded photograph that she gave to me, She said, "Will you go in and see if he 's in there i 've been told he 's in there and coincidentally or god incidentally, whichever word you 'd like to use, we had um, our local um, pcso 's community police officers with us on Friday night, all three of them. Um, they 're supposed to pop in and have a look and then go out again, but they stayed all evening and um, enjoying the facilities and the cups of tea and <laughs> keeping hell <Helzo-ing> safe <laughs> from the inside <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I went to to Craig, who was one of the one of the officers there that that he 's really supportive of what we 're doing here and he 's really looking at ways to partner with us and and, and to get involved and um, And I said, look, I've got this lady and she's got this photograph and she says her son is in here. So we went off on a trawl round to find this guy and sure enough he was here. He was the guy that had joined that very night for the very first time. And so he got them all together and got on the radios and sure enough this kid had been missing for four days solid. Gone from home, not seen by his family, four days. And the awesome thing was that we were able then to reunite that family. And his mates had just brought him along. I don't know where he'd been for four days and what he'd been doing, but he'd ended up here. He'd ended up in our little city of refuge downstairs. And we were able to reunite that family. And do you know what the third place will mean? The third place will mean more families moving back into the city. The third place will mean more lives being rebuilt the third place will mean more needs being met it will mean more people encountering the goodness of God and not just that they will then become the people that God will give the next assignment to on the mission that we have as a group of people and who knows what will come out of that little family reuniting there I don't know that's given over to God now but we had a safe place here where that lad could come and we could work and start to work some of that through with him. Derek Redmond, the best form he's shown since he broke the British record. Yeah. The Cuban Hernandez has got Redmond to aim at, and so too in line number 3 is Steve Lewis. But Redmond's got off very fast indeed, and so too is Ismail of Qatar Down of back straight, he's the fractional leader. Bardo of Nigeria. Has gone very quickly, and Redmond has broken down. He's on the track, kneeling down, and Derek Redmond, on well, his injury problem, the jinx has struck again. Running down the back I heard a funny clap or a pop, and I honestly, for a split second, thought I'd been shot. Uh, and then, obviously, I realised I've, I've pulled a hamstring, and I got to the 200 metre mark after hobbling 50 metres. I looked across and all the guys had finished and it pretty much hit me that, you know, it ain't going to happen, it's all over. He just wants to finish, his dad's trying to run under the track. The old man went to put his arms around me and I was just about to try and push him off because I thought it was someone else. I didn't see him, he sort of jogged from behind. Now in the greatest arena in sport, he's getting the cheer of the games. Did you remember that happening? Do you remember seeing that happening live? And I remember um, how I felt when I saw that. And um, I don't know whether you can remember how you felt or how you feel right now in seeing that. You know, when his dad came on and just knelt by the side of him and lifted him up. And I, I wonder what he whispered in his ear as he took him down that back straight to the finishing line. I wonder what he said to him. You know, did Derek Redmond win the race? No. Did Derek Redmond finish the race? Yes. Did Derek Redmond finish the race well? Yes. He did. He did. And then at 7pm on October the 20th, 1968... You know, a few thousand spectators remained in the Mexico City Olympic Arena. And it was almost dark and the last of the marathon runners were coming through and um, stumbling over the finish line as I imagine they would do. And and finally then the spectators heard this wailing of police sirens and and a huge kerfuffle of noise. And they all turned as one to look at the gate to the arena. And in staggered, this lone runner wearing the colours of Tanzania, staggered into the arena... His name was John Stephen Aquari. He was the last contestant to finish the 26-mile contest. And his leg had been injured. He'd fallen. He was blooded. It had been badly bandaged and tried to put back together. And he hobbled that final lap around the track. And the spectators rose and applauded him as though he was the winner. As one, they stood and they cheered him on all the way to that finish line. And after he crossed it... Some bright spark asked him, why didn't you just quit? Why didn't you quit? And this is something when I read this that that I think is really important for us to get this morning. This was his reply. He said, my country did not send me 7,000 miles to start a race. My country sent me 7,000 miles to finish a race. To finish a race. You see, finishing well doesn't happen by accident. It's a choice. It's a choice. And there's a guy called John Wesley that some of you may have heard of. And he was asked the question about why the early Methodists were so strong spiritually. were so full of zeal and so full of enthusiasm. And so full of fervor. And he said, my people die well. That's what he said. And I'm not saying in any way that we're going to die through the building of the third place. But probably I'm saying that some things in us probably will. To die well, we have to finish well. We have to finish well. Who said this? I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Who said that? Paul. 2 Timothy 4, 7. If you read where he wrote that from. Prison. He finished well. He finished well. You know, and over the past few weeks, we've heard how Nehemiah needed preparation to finish well. Do you remember when we looked at the whole first? Um, weeks of history makers and we looked at how he looked at the strategy how he he felt called by God how he went out and spied the land and saw the situation for himself how he looked and saw the state of the city he was going back he anticipated the problems he might have and then as the weeks have gone on we saw how he needed wisdom do you remember when Leon spoke he talked about the opposition that comes you know how he dealt with criticism and the difficulties that arose he needed wisdom to finish well But to finish well, he also needed this word that I hate. This word is perseverance. It really gives me a lovely warm butterfly feeling in the pit of my stomach. Perseverance. Do you know what? There's there's a thousand mile trekking trip. Which is a real, real trip that you can do from um, British Columbia to Southern California. And um, it's some trip. And I just happened to read about this the other day. Um, not when I was working, I was in my own time, just so you know that. I don't just <laughs> read random things on the internet. But, um, but the thing about this trip is that, you know, for many days they're on their own as they walk. And they face every kind of discouragement. There's lack of food and water. There's danger from wild animals. There's robbers on the trail. There's solid days of rain which make that trail so unwalkable and so unmanageable. There's incredible physical exhaustion. There's very real possibility of physical injustice. Before we get to blisters and mosquitoes and the extremes of heat and cold. And I was reading this, I thought, man, I'm there. I'm signing up right now. I was there. Man, it sold me the vision. I sold, man. I'll go on Tuesday. Who wouldn't? That's what it says on the front of the trip. That's exactly what it says. They tell you exactly what's going to happen. But the interesting thing about this whole trip is the stats that come at the end and you know, 90% of those who set out never make it more than 500 miles. Out of that 90%, 50% of them never actually start. <laughs> that would be me. 10% only ever finish. And from those 10%, I've sort of pulled out a couple of parallels that I think we can draw to where we are right now and some of it does involve obviously strenuously preparing and training you know I couldn't walk a thousand miles straight off there is some sort of mind stuff that you have to do and some preparation and some strategy and some training obviously but you know the main discovery the main thing I think as to why people fail or succeed is mental You know, the real enemy to whether they complete the trip or not lies within themselves and not without. And so I think they make two important decisions before they step one foot over that starting line. I think they have already decided that they're going to finish the trip no matter what. And then I think they've expected bad things to happen and decided they're not going to be surprised by it. What do I mean by that? I mean that when the rains come and turn the trail into a quagmire, they're not disappointed and they're not upset because they expected the rain. I mean when the clouds of mosquitoes descend like some biblical plague out of Moses and bite them all over, they don't quit because they're not surprised they knew it was coming. They know, I think, that the key to finishing something like that is just putting one foot in front of the other, walking down the trail that's been marked out for them, walking down the path that they've chosen to walk until they get to the finishing line that they know is there. That they know is there. And somewhere out there, church, is our finishing line. And we find ourselves approaching yet another starting line. But we need to see everything from the perspective of eternity. What do I mean by that? I mean that people of faith are never settlers. You are always pioneers. Always pioneers. People of faith are always looking for God's preferred future. For God's preferred future. We don't settle for the present. We're always looking for God's preferred future and God's preferred kingdom to come and his will be done, aren't we? Do you remember this verse? Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What did Christ Jesus take hold of you for? Could it be for such a day as this? Could it be for such a day as this? And you know, the Greeks had a really unique race in their Olympic Games. And the winner wasn't the first one to cross the finishing line. The winner was the runner who finished with his torch still lit. With his torch still lit. See, this isn't about who crosses first. It's about crossing together with our torches still lit. And I don't know where you are in your race today. You may have pulled up with a bit of a hamstring that you weren't expecting. But one thing I do know that there is times on this journey, and there will be times in the future months, where somebody will come alongside you and walk you to the finishing line. Because we want to finish together. We want to finish together. So how do you keep your torch lit? And there are loads of ways. And I could mention loads of them. But I really want to encourage you. One of the ways we can keep our torches lit is by celebrating. Celebrating. Celebrating all those assignments that we have already completed that God has given us celebrating all those accomplishments that are going to come along the way in building the third place, both in our individual lives and in us as a community of believers. Celebration brings fuel to your torch. And we're going to celebrate for the last part of our being together this morning. Why? Because we are straining towards what is ahead. And we are pressing on towards the goal to which Christ has called us to. Why are we celebrating? We're celebrating every race you have run with your torch still lit. How about those things that have already happened to you this year and your torch is still lit, praise God. All the hindrances that you've already stepped over and walked through and your torch is still lit, praise God. All those times you've stood with your friends and you've stood with your family through tough times and places of hopelessness and even faithlessness and your torch is still lit. Praise God.